Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to North Haven Church. My name is Adam Sidler. I'm the senior pastor here. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I would love an opportunity to do that. Welcome to those of you joining with us virtually as well. Um, after the service, I'll be out in the commons. We can connect um, at that time. Um, another way for us to connect is for you to take a moment and fill out your connection card, specifically how it is that we can pray for you. So if you flip that over, it was inside your worship folder. You just jot down how we might be lifting you up in prayer. We do that each week. Um, you can drop that off in the offering box at the back at, as you leave if you haven't um, had a chance yet to uh, give that to us. So a, a few things I want to say here before we dive into our message. The first and, and, and foremost is I just want to say thank you to um, Obi. Again, he mentioned um, our worship leader, modern worship leader. He mentioned that he preached last week. I think, I think he did a great job. Um, hopefully you agree. <laughs> um, I, I love being able to uh, equip and give um, others opportunities to preach God's word, uh, those who are um, equipped and called to do so. Uh, so what a thrill that was. So thank you, Obi, for that. Um, also, we are committed over the summer months to do this combined service. So, you know, if you're relatively new to North Haven, if you're checking us out for the first time, uh, typically we have two services, 9 and 1030, and we have two distinct worship styles. We have a classic service uh, where we do classic worship, which you experience at the beginning with our amazing classic worship team. And then we have modern worship, uh, which you saw uh, the second half of our worship time. And we're bringing all that together over the course of the summer, which I think has been wonderful. I would love to hear your input on that, though. So if you ever you feel like so inclined that you would like to share with me your thoughts on this experience, uh, please let me know. You can connect with me either in person or you can send me an email. Um, also, today... Something really important and super exciting. Um, after the service, so the service is going to run till uh, 11 o'clock, and then I want to give you a chance to, to go to the bathroom and you know, maybe get another cup of coffee, maybe one of those uh, stray donuts that's left there. And, um, and then 11.15, we're going to come back in, especially if you're a member. If you're a member of North Haven Church, we want you to be in this room at 11.15 because we're going to, it's going to take about 15, 20 minutes, we're going to vote on our new kids ministry director. Now, this has been something that's been in the works here for a little while. Um, we've uh, been looking for the right person, the right person in the right seat now for um, almost a year. And God has, I believe, brought that person to us. Uh, so you're going to find out a little bit more about her. We're going to have a handout that we're going to give to all of you as you walk in. You're going to um, watch a video where she introduces herself, and then we're going to vote on whether um, we want to bring her into the fold. So please uh, come and be a part of that. It's really important because a quorum is necessary, and that's 10% of our membership. Um, so please come and join us in that. It won't take long, I promise. All right. Um, last but not least, um, before we jump in, and this is connected because over the course of this uh, uh, year, right, we're in week 26, if you can believe that, week 26 of our 50-week series where we're going through the entire book of Acts. 
Uh, Acts is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John talks about Jesus' ministry on earth, his death and his resurrection. And then Acts is part two. And we talked about that before, how we are in part two still. And that is the mission of the church, being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work of God in the world, to show others the light of Jesus Christ and to make him accessible. Now, I've mentioned this to you before. I've encouraged you to try this out for yourself, but it's the 10-2 challenge. Uh, basically, every day at, um, at 10.02 a.m., you could do p.m., but I, I like to go to bed around that time. 10.02 um, a.m., my alarm every day goes off. Um, just curious, raise your hand if you've been with me where that alarm has gone off. And I've, yep, there you go. It's about 12 of you there, and I've, Pray right away. <laughs> I take a moment. Now, if you meet with me on a regular basis in that moment, you know, okay, I'm just going to give Adam 20 seconds. And I pray Luke 10, verse 2. Uh, Father God, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, and so I pray that you would send me into the harvest field. And I began praying that at the beginning of the year. And what was so awesome is I've been able to really experience that in some really tangible tangible ways. Uh, so about uh, two months ago, two and a half months ago, I, um, I did something I hadn't done in over 20 years. I was a theater major. I went to college for acting and directing, and I thought that that was going to be my pursuit. That was going to be my life beyond college. Well, that didn't pan out that way. God had different plans, which has been awesome. Uh, but it had always been a hope and, and, and a dream of mine to want to re-engage with uh, theater uh, because that was such a big part of my life. And the other thing that was so true is that my kids and my wife had never seen me do that kind of thing. And so out of a whim, one day I decided I'm going to audition for this community theater production of Cinderella, Rogers and Hammerstein's Cinderella. And I'm going to see what happens. Well, I got a role, and I, um, we rehearsed. It was four nights um, a week for seven weeks. And then we had seven performances. We had our last one last night. Do you guys want to see a picture? Check it out. <clears throat> That's me in the middle. That's your pastor, guys. Lord Pinkleton. That was my name. Anyways, it was so much fun, but this is the thing. I had an amazing opportunity, a cast of about 80 people, um, where I was able to pray with almost every single person in that cast. I was able to share the, the good news of Jesus Christ with a good number of those individuals. Everybody knew where I came from. On the program, if you came to the show and you opened it up, my name was the first one because Adam, and it said right there, I'm in love with my Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for the privilege and opportunity to not only be sent into the harvest field, but then to be able to build relationships with people that I absolutely came to love so deeply. And so I just want to encourage you to continue to do that yourself. If you pray that prayer, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, so send me. God's going to answer that prayer, I guarantee. All right. Speaking of which, we're in the book of Acts. And... Um, we uh, have been um, going through uh, over the last uh, 25 weeks, the first 
uh, 15 chapters, and so what I want to do is ask you to turn to Acts 16. So again, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 16. By the way, there is something amazingly profound about holding this in your hand. I'm all about having access, and I use the Bible app a lot of times, and it's super nice to be able to have these passages on the screen as well. But having this in your hand, man, that's, that's special. So I want to encourage you, bring your Bibles, interact with the Bible on a regular basis, um, because it is important. Uh, 2003, um, actually, yeah, 2000, January of 2003, my uh, foundation shook. We've all been there at some point. I grew up in the church. Um, my parents, from the very point that, um, that I could uh, recognize what was going on, were always leading worship. Now, back when I was a little, little kid, leading worship meant taking a cassette tape, putting in a cassette tape player, and pushing play. And that's what they did. My parents were up on stage, and they were singing songs, leading in various churches that we participated in. They were in a singing group, a Christian singing group, and they would travel all throughout the, the Midwest, and they would perform that, and I would go with them, me and my brothers. And then when I was growing up in my middle school and high school years, my parents were the worship pastors. And so again, constantly seeing them on stage and leading in that way. And, and I, I just, I felt like all the world would shift and change and we would have ups and downs, but that would always be firm. That would always be solid. And then in January of 2003, my whole family just imploded. And my father um, made an unfortunate decision and my parents were divorced and my mom spiraled, uh, understandably. She lost her home, she lost her job, just so many things. And the oldest of four boys, I'm like, what just happened? I ended up going that summer to um, a, a therapeutic wilderness camp, a Christian therapeutic wilderness camp for emotionally disturbed teenagers. I've talked to you a little bit about that. I spent a year living in the woods in North Carolina with these 14 to 16-year-olds. And together, I understood that I came into the woods wounded, along with other teenagers who came into the woods wounded. I was able to share the love of Jesus Christ with them, to lead them to Jesus, but also experiencing hope and healing in my own life. My foundation was shook. So here's the question we need to ask ourselves this morning as we begin looking at Acts 16. Because either you're experiencing your foundation being shaken today, or you will. That's the reality of this world. That's the reality of this life. We're either experiencing that shaken foundation in this moment, or we will. So when your foundation is shaken, will you fall on your sword, or will you fall into the arms of Jesus? That's the question. So Acts 16, uh, we looked at Acts 15 and how the message to the Gentiles, Gentiles being uh, 
those who aren't Jews. Um, so the message of the resurrected Jesus was just uh, expanding at an exponential rate to Gentiles. Many were receiving the good news of Jesus Christ. And a big proponent of that, a big part of that was Paul himself. And we saw in Acts 15, if you remember correctly, um, we saw the council at Jerusalem, and we saw how the, the, uh, the Christian church in Jerusalem um, made uh, a, a, an affirmation, they made a proclamation that we are saved by the, the grace of Jesus Christ, not by works, Paul later would say, so that no one could boast. And then Paul and Barnabas, who were two peas in a pod, they had a disagreement. It's called a sharp disagreement, and they parted ways. And so Paul and Silas, they began spreading the gospel to Macedonia, and eventually it would lead them to a city called Philippi. So that's where we're going to start. We're going to read Acts 16, uh, second part of verse 10. So follow me. Paul and his companions got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called them to preach the gospel. Now from Troas, they put out to the sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went to Neapolis. And from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, they went outside the city gate to the river where they expected to find a place of prayer. They sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman uh, from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us, invited them to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded them. In verse 16, once when they were going to the place of prayer, they were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of them, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days, and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the, the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. And when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. And they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar, by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he, when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. 
The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. So the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. All right. That was quite a bit. It's good stuff, though. Philippi. We read more about Philippi in the book of Philippians that Paul would later write to the church there. That was an important city in the province of Macedonia. It was also a Roman colony that housed many Roman veterans. It was almost like kind of a retirement location for Roman military veterans. They would go there because they had self-governed rights and they could um, have freedom from Roman taxes. But this was also an important place because it was a tremendous mission field for Paul. Now, if we first see Paul and his companions, it says that they were looking for a place where Jews met. Uh, Basically, this was Paul's practice. Whenever he would go into a new place, he was trying to find a place where Jews met, meaning where was the local synagogue. Now, per Jewish law, the local synagogue was a place where at least 10 Jewish men met. But that's not what they found. Instead, they found a place where some women, Jewish women, were meeting and praying. And this was the place where Paul and his companions, they met a female slave. Now, this female slave was a Gentile. She was a non-Jew. And it says that she she had a spirit within her which enabled her to predict the future. She's a female slave, so she had owners, and these owners were making a profit off of her ability to be able to do so. But it wasn't her doing that. It was the spirit, not of God, within her that was enabling her. We read in verse 17 that, this, that the spirit-led female servant, they followed Paul. She followed Paul and um, his companions, and she kept saying over and over and over again, these men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you to wait to be saved. You imagine, right, you're, you're in the front seat of your car and your kids are asking that question on a road trip. What is that question? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? So this woman continuously over and over and over again is saying this. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Why is that a big deal? Why is that a big deal? Why would would that bother Paul and his companions besides just the repetitive nature, annoying nature of it? Well, the reason why that was so important is twofold. One is because the spirit that was inside this woman testifying to this was, was basically proclaiming to others this spirit's superiority over Jesus by testifying to It's knowledge of Jesus and salvation. 
And this was done, and Paul knew this, to minimize or eliminate the effectiveness of Paul's ministry. Now remember, Paul and his companions, they were going there with the intent, with the hope of sharing, spreading the message of the gospel of the resurrected Jesus to the people in Philippi, and they had a very specific strategic way to do so. They had to ensure the safety of their message, but also the safety of themselves, and most importantly, the effectiveness of their message. Having someone parade behind them and yelling out who they were and what they were doing was putting them and the gospel in jeopardy, especially in a city full of people who would typically be hostile towards this. And so in verse 18, Paul basically turns around and exercises this spirit that was inside this female servant. Now she can no longer tell the future. She can no longer tell the future, which is kind of a big deal for her owners. Because as I mentioned, they were making a profit off of this. They were making good money, it says, from her ability. They weren't happy about this, and so these owners seized Paul and Silas, and they brought them to, they brought them to the authorities, the local authorities. Now, obviously, these owners were upset about losing the profit, but instead of using that as their defense, they instead falsely claimed that Paul and Silas were, quote, throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. What? They bring these false claims to the authorities and the local authorities. They, they eat this up. And so they take Paul and Silas and they decide to throw them in the jail until they could have an official trial. But before they do that, they severely beat them. And so they put him in the innermost part of the jail. They instruct the jailer to keep them as secure as possible. And they take extra measures to secure their feet with wooden stocks. But then something remarkably interesting happens. In verse 26, suddenly there was a a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Okay, now, there is no specific mention as to whether this was a natural or supernatural event. It's very, very possible and highly likely that this was a natural earthquake that was so violent, that was so tremendous, that it literally shook the foundations and caused the doors to become ajar or to to come off their hinges all completely, and, and then for chains to come off of walls. It's highly likely for that to have been the case. Has anybody been in an earthquake, by the way? Pretty unsettling? Pretty unsettling. A violent earthquake, it's described. Regardless, though, the result is the same because Paul and Silas, they had an opportunity to what? Escape. But they didn't do that. They didn't escape. They didn't even attempt to do that. In verse 27, it says that when the jailer woke up, he realized in the midst of that violent earthquake, and then in its aftermath, realized that the doors now were off. It's their hinges. I mean, the doors were ajar. They were wide open. And so immediately, immediately this jailer, he assumes 
understandably, what? That the prisoners had escaped. The jailer assumed that the prisoners had escaped, and keep in mind that Philippi was, was heavily populated by, by Roman veterans who had come there to live out the remainder of their lives, and this Roman code was strong. And in that moment, when the jailer saw what had transpired because of this earthquake he had just experienced, and understandably assumed that the prisoners would have escaped, especially Paul and Silas, who he was specifically told to keep as secure as possible, he decides in that moment to end his life, to fall on his sword. And it's at this moment that something extraordinary happens. The jailer hears Paul's voice saying, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Don't harm yourself. We haven't gone anywhere. No one has escaped. There is no reason for you to take your life. And so the jailer runs to find Paul and Silas, and he's astounded by what's transpired. So much so, he tells them or asks them, what must I do to become saved? And this is their reply, starting in verse 31. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to this jailer and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. He had literally... In this moment, realize his need for a savior, and then by himself, regardless of what had been instructed to him, took Paul and Silas actually out of the jail to his home to have dinner, to treat their wounds, and to lead all the rest of his household to Jesus. And then we find later, he took them back. This is an amazing story. And understandably, you know what's really, really easy to focus on in this story? That violent earthquake. You know, we are so prone to, um, when we approach the Bible, we're so prone to focus on these, these grand things that, ex- that, that happen. And we, we think that that's got to be the thrust. That's got to be the focus of what's going on here. But it's not the earthquake. It's not this violent earthquake that we need to hone in on. Rather, it is the character's response to this earthquake. So what responses are we talking about? The first response is that of the jailer. Remember the jailer in verse 27 woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now we, we have all been in this situation. We've all been in a situation where the foundation, inexplicably, sometimes, sometimes in a moment, in a, in a sudden moment, just shakes beneath, beneath us. And everything that we had counted on, everything that we had thought was secure, it was the least of our worries has now become rubble. And like this jailer experience, all he saw around him and in himself was tremendous failure, was ruin, 
And the only possible response, as far as he saw it, was to fall on his sword. When we're in a situation physically, right, whether you've been in an actual earthquake or you're on some sort of footing and it's insecure, our immediate physical response is to quickly grab onto something, right? Grab onto something that that, that keep us secure. Well, we do that in our lives as well. When that foundation becomes unsettled, when it becomes shaky, our immediate response is to grab a hold of anything, anything that's close. We do that in haste. It's like like, um, sliding off the edge of a cliff and grabbing onto something, anything that we can grab onto. But here's the thing. When in our lives our foundation becomes insecure, when it begins to shake, when we begin to experience that rubble and our footing is is completely unsettled, and we reach out in haste, we find that everything that we reach out to will not hold us. It isn't secure. It's as if we are sliding off the edge of that cliff and we grab hold of a weed. My family and I, we went to Grand Marais a few, um, about a month ago, and in Grand Marais, in the bay, there's this rocky um, uh, kind of peninsula that goes out, a bunch of big rocks, and my kids wanted to climb on that. And it's, it's like 200 yards. And, uh, you know, being the uh, stupid father that I am, I said, sure, let's do it. So we began walking out on that, on that rocky peninsula, and constantly my son, my daughter, was trying to come off as, you, you were very settled. You were very secure, right? My son, though, was struggling. He had, just, he had just broken his thumb, and constantly I had to be by him. When his, when his footing was unsettled, what did he do? He reached out for me. And where was I? I was always there. I was always ready and able to take his hand. When we were kids and our foundation was shaken, our immediate response was to grab our parents' hand. When did we stop doing that? When did you stop doing that? When did you become convinced that you don't need to grab a hold of the Father's hand. When our foundation is shaken now, Jesus often becomes our last resort instead of our first resource. We reach reach out and we grab a hold of something, anything, and the whole time we ignore the hand of the Father that is reaching out to us. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. But there's another response that's really important to highlight here. Because it's a response that all who are followers of Jesus need to pay attention to. 
It's how Paul and Silas responded when the foundation beneath them shook. The jailer woke up, it says, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sir, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. The most important message that a follower of Jesus can proclaim about the resurrected Jesus happens in how you respond to the foundation shaking beneath you. Will you seek to meet your needs only or will you look for opportunities to show others the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus. When our foundation is shaken, yes, we must reach out and take a hold of Jesus' hand, that firm foundation, but we also must look Look and find opportunities to help others also experience the firm foundation that comes through the hand of Jesus Christ. How we respond to that foundation shaking shaking beneath us, it not only affects us, it affects others. I say this quite often, we are all elevators, every single person. You either bring people up, or you bring people down. A follower of Jesus is in the business of bringing people up. Always pointing to Jesus. Even when your foundation is shaken, pointing people to Jesus while you hold on to his hand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the message of the gospel of the resurrected Jesus Christ that can say, we believe in our heart that you raised your son Jesus Christ from the dead we proclaim with our mouth that Jesus is Lord the Bible says that we will be saved we will experience the promise and redemption of eternal life I pray Father that as this week unfolds as we are maybe now experiencing a shaken foundation, or in that moment when we will. I pray, Father, that in haste we will not reach out and, and, and grab onto anything, but we will instead see you as our first resource rather than our last resort. And while we hold on to the faithful, firm, foundational hand of Jesus Christ, I pray that we would help others grab a hold as well. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand, please? We're going to finish our service as we do every week during this series, proclaiming this together. Say this with me. We are the church. 
We have received power from the Holy Spirit. We are Jesus' witness to the world. We will give the love of Jesus to each other, to our community, and to the ends of the earth because we are the church. Two things. Following the service, we have prayer counselors that are on the ready to pray with you. They'll either be in there in the corner or they'll be in there in the corner. But if you need prayer this morning, I invite you to just go to one of those locations and um, they'll pray with you. And then in five minutes, five minutes, we're going to hold that membership meeting. It'll be quick, I promise, 15 minutes. We're going to vote on that next kids ministry director. Five minutes, 11.15. God bless. I hope you have a wonderful day.